All right. Good to see everybody. Welcome. Good morning. And uh, in case you wandered in thinking this was an Amway presentation, uh, <laughs> otherwise you're here for your marriages, I hope. Um, so welcome to the second study in our How to Win at Marriage workshop, which will be a two-part presentation. We'll break a little between the parts. Cindy will be teaching the women, and I will then teach the men and everyone. So uh, let me just give you some introductory comments, and uh, we'll get into the studies. Uh, we're using the word WIN as an acronym. The W last night stood for warfare. If you weren't here, you can go online and listen to that. This morning, the I. We want to first of all look at the I, which stands for identity. Identity. We're using the word identity in terms of what is your identity as a husband or a wife in marriage. Or to put it another way, what are the roles? What are the roles that God has assigned to husbands and wives in marriage? Look, it's critical that couples follow God's design for marriage if their marriages are going to be healthy, fruitful, and blessed. Look, if we, uh, if we look at God as our manufacturer, the Bible then becomes the manufacturer's handbook. A manufacturer always includes with their product, especially a complicated piece of technology, an instruction manual that explains the product, how it works, and how to care for it. But also, very important, it includes a section that tells them how to troubleshoot problems if they arise and what to do to fix them so that their product operates the way it was designed to. The Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, if you will. We are a complicated piece of technology. And only the one who made us, our manufacturer, has the expertise to tell us how he designed our lives to function and how to care for them spiritually and mentally to ensure smooth operation and maximum productivity. But guys, especially how to troubleshoot problems that arise in the course of everyday life and what to do to fix what is broken and then bring us back to wholeness and full working order as individuals and as couple. So the Bible in general is God's instruction manual for our lives, which, if followed, will allow our lives, including and especially our marriages, to function the way God designed them. Now look, we either follow God's instruction manual containing his wisdom for life, or we're left with trying to live our lives by following the world's wisdom. You know, Paul the Apostle said that God made foolish the wisdom of this world, which, guys, if you think about it, the wisdom of this world is nothing more than fallen men and women trying to figure life out apart from God. That's why it's foolish. You can't divorce the creation from the creator but man tries to do it all the time but paul says it's foolishness and god has shown it to be foolishness how well as i was thinking about this i believe that what paul is saying is that god did this by comparing the lives of people that he has saved and are now who are now living according to his word in obedience with those whose lives have been damaged or even completely destroyed by worldly wisdom and pursuits 
I mean, God's word tells people that obeying what he said will produce a life of joy, fullness, and fruitfulness, as opposed to living by living life by following the wisdom of of uh, all the so-called experts. And they're out there, aren't they? There are a lot of them. Everybody's an expert. In fact, I think it was Harry Truman, one of our presidents, said, an expert can never learn anything because then they wouldn't be experts. So you know what? You listen to people that think they know everything. Can't learn anything. But a lot of folks are gravitating to the experts, quote-unquote. To give them wisdom to live their lives. Experts who constantly pass out advice to others, you know, dropping it down from their little ivory towers of academia upon the lowly, ignorant, uneducated masses. Here we are. As to how we should live our lives when they themselves, their lives are a mess. Years ago, probably early 90s, I saw a woman on TV. She was being interviewed. She was a marriage guru. She was an expert. And back in those days, she charged 300 bucks per couple for a weekend so she could give them expertise on how to have a great marriage. But then it came out, she was married and divorced five times. She was an expert at divorce. But she was an expert. So the woman interviewing her said, well, how can you teach others how to be married when you've been married and divorced five times? She said, well, I think people know I'm real. Yeah, you're a real fraud. Something about the words of Jesus ring in my ears. Physician, heal thyself. Okay, let's see if your stuff works by you living it out in your life. We don't have to tell people, guess. I mean, we, we're living testimonies to the power of God. Once God has touched our lives and we gave our hearts to Christ and started living according to the word, we became living epistles, known and read by all people, Paul said. Our lives become a living testimony to the power of God and how God's word and his wisdom remarkably changes people. And yet people have been made to believe that man's wisdom is better than God's word for living their lives. And so they reject the Bible in favor of the wisdom of the world, which is the ultimate foolishness. But guys, it gets worse. James tells us that the wisdom of the world is earthly, sensual, and demonic, and produces selfishness, confusion, confusion and every evil thing. Whereas the wisdom that is from above, God's wisdom, is full of good fruits, produces many blessings in a person's life. Now, God is included in his word, the one who made us, our manufacturer, who is included with his creation and instruction manual. We call it the Bible. And God is included in his word, the identity of, of both the husband and the wife within the context of marriage. These are God-given roles. Don't argue with me about them. Well, I don't think I like what you said. Well, you better take it up with God. Cindy and I are just going to give you the word of God, what God has said. These are God-given roles he has created for marriage. Reverse the roles 
and the marriage will be damaged and won't work the way God designed it to. So on that point, I'm going to have Cindy come up and share with the women. Her role to this morning is to teach the women what God's word says about marriage, their role in marriage. Guys, I'd love it if you stayed here. But I want you to know Cindy is going to be teaching the women about the wives' role in marriage. So, Cindy? Well, good morning, ladies and men. <laughs> wow. That's a great introduction. <laughs> So I am speaking directly to the women this morning, and uh, and husbands, just listen in, you know? You can just listen in. I'm not teaching you. I have a real thing about that. <laughs> I don't believe the Bible says that women are to teach men. So this is for the women, just listen in, and I, I hope that you're blessed along the way. But um, I need to just start in prayer. Father God, we wanna thank you and praise you for being our God, that, Lord, you have not called us in these marriages to do it on, on our own. You have given us wisdom through your word and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower us, Lord, to have healing, to have beautiful, beautiful marriages. And on that, I pray that you be seen and that you be heard and that I just fade away. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, Pastor Phil and I have been um, we married for 45 years. We celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary, July 1st. And, you know, I woke up that morning, and I went to be with God. I was thanking him for the love of such a good man. And um, it overwhelmed me that after 45 years that God could make such a beautiful thing happen even more glorious than I ever thought it would be. And in that same time before God, I told him, Lord, after 45 years, well, 46, that I've known Phil, but 45 years of being married to this man, I know I have more to learn. I know that I need you. I want to be all that you have. In, in me for my husband, you know? And through the years, I have learned that my love for Jesus should be first above any other love that I possess. So ladies, your love for Jesus is number one. And coming in really close second is your love for your husband. He's, he's right there. Only him, Jesus, husband. <laughs> Then, coming in close to that, your love for your children, grandchildren, parents, and family. And then after that, our love and service to the family of God, our church, you know. But if we don't keep that in the correct order, we will begin to find strains and difficulties in every single relationship that we're in. You see, I don't know about you, but I want to become more and more of a wife that pleases the heart of God by holding fast to what the word says about the qualities of being a good and godly wife. To hold fast means to bear down. It means to stay the course. And you and I must refuse 
to take in what the world has to say about our role as wives in marriage. And we must stay the course of what the Word of God proclaims on the matter. We must bear down and we must keep His Word etched on our hearts so that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be the wives that God has called us to be. So with that, would you turn with me to Ephesians we're going to start at verse 22. And this morning, I, as you turn there, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to, I read in the Amplified Bible a lot. It is the, the study Bible I love because it expounds on the Greek meaning of words and on the Hebrew meaning of words. So it's one of my favorite study Bibles. And so I will be reading most of my verses in this Amplified Bible. So I want to just focus in on verse 22 through 24 right now because that's the focus that is toward us. And I'll read it in the Amplified. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the Lord is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their own husbands in everything. Now the Greek expounds at that point and says, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as the head of the house. You know, this beautiful portion of scripture, and it is beautiful, starts out saying, in verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And if you look down to verse 33 of that portion of scripture, it ends with, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You see, every word between those two verses are addressed to our husbands. So we need to just focus on those two points submission and respect and as we know in scripture the written word nothing is placed by chance and i was meditating on this and i thought of bookends you know these truths are like two bookends that hold you know books in place keep them standing up straight and i feel like when we as wives hold fast stay the course in submitting to and respecting our husbands, it gives way for them to die to self and to love us like the Lord loves the church. It keeps our marriages in right standing before God and man. So let, I'm going to talk on submission. I'm going to talk on respect. I'm going to define those two from the word. And then I'm going to go back to the submission and respect and give a couple of applications. They are not extensive. It's just something that I just am going to give to you. You may know these. You may be living these. Bless you. But I don't know about you. I, every time I go before God, he shows me something new that I can do to bless his heart and bless my husband's heart. So submission. In the King James Version, submit appears only, appears only 12 times, submitted three times, and submitting only one time. And in the Greek, the word is, I didn't take Greek, Pastor Phil did, so I always mess these words up. Hupatasa, did I say that right? Okay. Which means to arrange in order under. I liked that. 
to arrange an order under. You know, it's a military term. And in the military, there is a strong sense of submitting to someone of higher rank. A soldier must arrange himself under his sergeant. A sergeant arranges himself under the master sergeants. A master sergeant arranges himself in order under the lieutenants. And the lieutenants to the captain, to the captain to the major, and right on to the general who himself must submit to the commander in chief. You see, everything is arranged in order under. We even see that in the Trinity, right ladies? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is an arrangement in order. And its bare bones meaning is that one has to arrange himself or herself in order. That is systematically under another. It's just simple as that. And when we do, God blesses. You know, submit appears in various English Bible translations um, other than the King James Version. And it sometimes appears as this, subordinate. Oh, we don't like that word, do we? We don't like that word. It's the kind of negative connotation, but it does. Obey, subject to, submit, surrender, put under, and how about this one, ladies? Stay in your place. Wow, stay in your place. First Peter 3.5 says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted God adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. And I like the NLT in this verse. Again, it's 1 Peter 3, 5. That is the way, this is so beautiful. The holy women of old made themselves beautiful. What is the way? They trusted God and they accepted the authority of their husbands. I loved that they trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Now, we're not going to agree with everything our husbands want to do or say. Whether we agree with our husbands on everything or not, the will of the Lord is for wives to trust God and accept the authority of our husbands. Now, can I just pause a second here? And I, I feel the need to have to say this. There are so many so-called Christian groups who abuse the idea of submission in marriage. And I need to make a clear presentation to you. I need to tell you what submission is not. Okay? I, you know, we were watching the um, documentary on Bill Gothard. And everything he said on submission was accurate. How he applied that submission and made the women and the girls apply that submission was sick. Under the mask of submission, he had young girls, young children doing terrible sexual acts with him. So, so I bring this out because it's important that we know that submission, what it's not, it's not control where you can't do anything or decide anything. It's not being degraded or demeaned. You're not to be led in such a way that stifles your spirit in the Lord or your personality. You're not to be led in a way that you're manipulated all the time. And God forbid, you're never to be led into sin or viewing pornography or any of those things. That's not submission. That's when you don't submit. You see, submission doesn't mean that you're this doormat 
for you know your husband to just wipe his feet on that that's not what God is saying and any healthy relationship would never do those things right any healthy relationship you know Ephesians 5 in the Amplified reads wives submit or be subject I'm sorry to your own husbands as a service to the Lord you know one commentator said this of this verse he said simply this is what this means the wife to her husband not to men in general you know I love that I kind of just stop a second every time you look at submission for wives to their husbands it always says your own praise God right we have enough trouble right we have enough trouble in the Lord submitting to our own husband Praise the Lord, it's not that we have to do it to every husband out there, you know. It's our own husbands. It's not general. It's, um, the commentator said, not as inferior to him. You're not inferior to him, nor in violation of any of your Christian ethics, but honoring her husband as protector and head of the home, respecting the responsibility of his position and truly his accountable his accountability before God. You know, our husbands, and Phil's going to talk about this, has, have the greater responsibility than we do. We think it's hard to submit and respect. Wait until you hear what our husbands have and their role. The key for making submission an easy thing to do is, I love it, it's right here in Ephesians 5.22. God never gives us anything that he doesn't equip us for, right? And this is what he says that we are to do it as a service to the Lord. And you may have a hard time submitting to your husband in certain ways or in certain areas, but when you do it as unto the Lord, it does make it easier. Your perspective gets right. You're fixed on heaven. Your eyes see Jesus, and then you're able to submit with ease because it's, it's unto the Lord. And let's face it, I just, I, this is a tiny little thing. I just learned about Phil, like a couple months ago. We were here at the sanctuary, we were talking, and he just mentioned that he likes, he personally likes his hangers a certain way in the closet and his clothes hanging there. I, 45 years, never knew. I'm just throwing him in the closet, you know. I, you know, I'm just, you know. And when he was talking, I, I, I kind of sat back and I'm like, well, gee, well, he can just turn them the way he wants, you know? <laughs> That's what I thought. I thought. Oh, he can just turn them the way he wants. Just a silly hanger. And then the Lord spoke to me and he said, would you turn them for me? Would you turn the hangers for me, Cindy? And yeah, that's a small thing, but you know, ever since that night, I think he's noticed. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> I've been turning the hangers in that direction. Just a little thing, you know? The world says we're to dominate, to be extremely independent of your husband. That's what the world teaches us, right? But this is what God says. We're to submit. And we're to acquire a healthy independence in Jesus first and then her husband. The world says disrespect, make fun of his shortcomings. He's just, you know, silly. But the Lord says respect your husband. The world says manipulate to control, to get what you want. And the word says influence your husband in the fear of the Lord. The world says lie, deceive. Oh, don't tell him the truth. He doesn't have to know you bought that dress. He doesn't have to 
No, you bought that expensive purse. That's what the world says. The Lord says, you be honest. You be a woman of integrity. You let him know that you are honest with him. The world says, compete with him. Be critical of him. You're better than him. And God says that we're to compliment him and we're to accept him despite of his shortcomings and his failings. So that's respect. I mean, submission. I'm going to talk about respect. <laughs> respect we see in verse 33 of Ephesians 5 and in the Amplified. Wait till you hear what the Greek says about this. This is amazing. I wrote it out, and I'm going to, like, frame it, okay? Because <laughs> I learned something new. So it says in the Amplified, And let the wife see that she respects and reverences her husband. Here's the Greek. That she notices him. Have you been so busy that you haven't noticed him? Regards him, honors him, prefers him, venerates and esteems him, and that she defers to him, praises him, and loves and admires him exceedingly. That's what the Greek says about respect. Respect is also defined as to have high esteem or special regard for. It is to consider worthy of high regard. It is to admire. The Hebrew meaning of the word respect is to take notice of, to regard with special attention, to regard as worthy of special consideration, to care for and to heed. The Hebrew word, I liked this, is related to the word heavy and someone brought out treating someone with respect is the opposite of taking them lightly we need to frequently examine ourselves by laying our hearts before god and asking him to show us any areas of disrespect we may have toward our husbands and we need to then get it right we just need to get it right. The word says that we see that we respect our husbands. It doesn't say, see that you respect your husband only if you think they're worthy of it. It doesn't say, see that you respect your husband only if they're walking in the Lord the way you think they should be walking in the Lord. No. The word of God says, see that you respect your husband, period. Don't compare your husband with another. Don't do it. Firstly, it's unfair to him. And secondly, it diminishes your respect toward him. Also, don't get in a pattern of being critical toward your husband. It will only cultivate disrespect in your heart toward him. Criticalness is evil, I believe. And sometimes we don't even know it. You know, if you find yourself rolling your eyes at something he said, you might not do a heart check on that. There might be a little disrespect going on there. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But you know what I'm saying? It, 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 it seeps in very, very subtly. It will only cultivate disrespect in your heart toward him. Elizabeth Elliot said this, ladies, and only in Elizabeth Elliot fashion, she said, but you will find yourself disarmed utterly and your accusing spirit transformed into loving forgiveness 
the moment you remember that you did, in fact, marry only a sinner. And so did he. Right? We're all sinners saved by grace, trying to work out this you know, walk in the fear of the Lord and in our marriages, right? So let's just, I want to bring out two ways about holding fast and submitting to our husbands. These aren't extensive, like I said. Firstly, I'm just going to say them and then I'll expound. Firstly, you need to fan the flame of your love for Jesus. That's firstly. Secondly, you need to fan the flame of your love for your husband. Fan the flame of your love for Jesus by daily abiding in his presence, by communing with him in prayer, and by feeding in his word. There is no other way that we can fan the flame of our love for Jesus if we are not in the word. Now, I'm looking out at some of you, and you have little ones, and I've been there. And I remember setting my alarm as early as 4 a.m. And every time I did, they would get off the kids. And I couldn't have my quiet time. So what I did was I had a time in the afternoon. And I said, we're going to all be quiet. You don't have to, you know, sit perfectly. But we're all going to be quiet here. And Mommy's doing devotions. And they had to be quiet. I would not let them go crazy. I needed my time with Jesus. And I told them they needed me to have my time with Jesus too. <laughs> but we need to fan the flame. Figure it out. God will give you a way. Also, we need to be um, all we can be for the Lord. And when we're all we can be for the Lord, we will be all that we can be as wives that not only please the heart of God, but please the heart of our husbands. Because that's a goal. I don't know about you ladies, but I want to please his heart. I want to please the heart of God. I want to please Phil's heart. Um, C.S. Lewis said this, When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. So when we're walking close to Jesus, we will walk in our marriage with humility because pride is the fall of our marriages. I think you're going to talk about that maybe. I don't know. Pride is the fall of our marriages. It kills our marriages. It destroys our marriages. So we need to walk in humility. How do we do that? By fanning the flame of our love for Jesus. And we could become like him. We could come, become like-minded with him. And what is his mind, Philippians says? It's humility. The mind of Christ is humility. When we are walking close to Jesus, we are less likely to place unrealistic expectations on our husband. Ladies, it's not fair to place unrealistic expectations on our husband. I am convinced God doesn't do what we do sometimes <laughs> to our husbands. And I love what Ruth Graham said about this. She said, it is a foolish woman who expects her husband to be to her that which only Jesus Christ himself can be. Always ready to forgive, totally understanding, unendingly patient, invariably tender and loving, unfailing in every area, anticipating every need, and making more than adequate provision. Such expectations put a man, a man under an impossible strain. The same goes for the man who expects too much for his, from his wife. So we need to fan the flame of our love for Jesus by abiding in his presence, communing with him in prayer, and feeding on his word. 
And secondly, we need to fan the flame of our love for our husbands. We need to pray for closer emotional friendship with our husbands. Ladies, do not confide in or be friends with another man. Never allow yourself to become emotionally attached to another man. Through the course of the years in ministry, I cannot tell you how many women have fallen to adultery because it first started with an emotional friendship that they weren't getting from their husbands. Now, it's easy for us as women to blame it on our husbands, but God is saying we need to work on this. So we need to pray that God will show us how to do that. We need to pray for how we can better have better romance in our marriage. You know, emotional, we know this, emotional and physical intimacy is such a vital lifeline in the marriage relationship. So we have to hold fast to them. We must keep them guarded. We must stay the course. We must be focused on our friendship with our husband. With our husband. You see, Satan hates our marriages. Satan hates you. He hates me and he hates our husbands. He will attack us both emotionally and he will attack our physical intimacy along with communication because he's just plainly out to destroy marriage. But God's greater, right? And we have God. You know, Phil and I schedule times with each other to enhance our emotional connection and our friendship. We have morning coffees together, times where we talk about our week, we talk about our walks, we talk about what's hurting our hearts. We just talk. <laughs> and it doesn't have to be, you know, we don't sit there for hours, you know, but we do. We, we sit and we make that time with one another. And Phil said that I could share this. I asked his version on sharing this. And this is only going for those of you who are couples who are married in this room, because we know that physical intimacy is for married, a man and a woman, right, in marriage. So if you're here today and you're not married yet, this doesn't really count for you right now, <laughs> okay? But you can keep it on your back burner, <laughs> okay? So when, when the Lord leads you, um, uh, your husband. But we... This is, sounds so crazy, but we actually have to schedule our physical intimacy times. And you know what? Nothing short of someone or something experiencing a life-threatening emergency replaces that time. Nothing. Now, you would think that, well, it's not spontaneous. Uh, it's how romantic is it? It is incredibly romantic. It is incredibly amazing. It incredibly enhances that physical intimacy because you know why? Every single thing will come in, in, in place of that. It's going to try to get in place of that, ladies. Ministry, your ministry, your work schedule, your children, your parents, your grandchildren, any kind of life need, anything is going to try to get in, in there and take place of that. So, you know, we found that right up early, in, you know, when we were younger, that the enemy just does that. He'll just really, he attacks that area. And it's so beautiful and important. So that's all I'll say about that. But, you know, you might, you know, just know that neglecting both emotional and physical intimacy, so your friendship with your husband and your physical intimacy with your husband, will open the door for the enemy to destroy your marriage. It's going to do it. So we need to really take heed on that. 
So my encouragement to you this morning is to sit with your husband and see if it's something he would preferably consider scheduling. Both times, emotional and physical intimacy times. And just see what happens with that. And let the Lord do that. So two things, those were the two things for submission. Fan the flame of your love for Jesus and fan the flame of your love for your husband. And now I'd like to look at the two things that we are to consider as we respect our husbands. These are not at all, again, exhaustive, but we need to consider how we speak. That's the first one. Consider how we speak and consider how we pray. Those are two biggies in respecting your husband, okay? Consider how you speak to him. The late Ellen Radpath once suggested that any gossip that occurs our way should be subject to the following test summed up in the acronym THINK, T-H-I-N-K. And as I was doing this, you know, uh, working on this presentation, um, I thought about this. I believe that we can apply this in a very special way to when we speak to our husbands. It's just wonderful. T is a true. It's what you're speaking truth to your husband. H, is it helpful to him? I, is it inspiring or encouraging? N, is it necessary? Is it really necessary? Sometimes we, I know I do this, and, I, and I, I tell you right now, I don't stand up here as any expert. I am so having to work on this all the time, but I always state the obvious, and sometimes, you know what, he doesn't want to hear it. He just doesn't want to hear the obvious. He doesn't really want me to state the obvious. He just wants to talk, right? And so, you know, is it necessary? And then K, is it kind? Sometimes we get in the habit of not being kind. We don't speak kindly. And so I'll go through that again. T, is it true? H, is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? K, is it kind? Proverbs 31, 12 reads, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And the Amplified reads, She comforts, encourages, and does him only good as long as there is life within her. You know, ladies, we are called to be his helper. Genesis 2.18 actually says we are a help meet. That's the word. And, you know, we are to not, we're to be a help meet, not an adversary. We're to be his complement. That's what the help meet means in the Hebrew, compliment. We're to compliment him. We're not to be his critic. We're to be his earthly support and encourager. We simply need to encourage our husbands. We need to speak words of edification to them and be the one who builds them up in the Lord. My question to you this morning is, are you an encourager to your husband? Something to think about, something to go before the Lord with. And you may do it sometimes, maybe sometimes you don't, but just pray about that. Proverbs 31.11 says that the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. And that's the second point under consider how, do you, how you speak. So you're going to consider how you speak to him, but you need to consider how you speak about him to others. That's so important. In the Amplified, Amplified version, Proverbs 31.11 says, the heart of her husband trusts in her confidently and relies on and believes in her securely, so he has no lack of honest gain or no need of dishonest spoil. We need to be discreet and careful 
how we speak about our husbands to other people. It is important to simply leave some things unspoken. You know, our husbands should not have to worry that we're gonna say something really embarrassing about them to other people. We must know what to say and what not to say about him to others. We're to keep our hearts with all diligence for out of it springs forth the issues of life. You know, what we say, it reflects what's in our heart, right? So what we share out is reflecting what's in our heart. Oh, we need to go before God about that. You know, this mouth is so, isn't it? I find for me is just, I need to control it. Sometimes I go like this because I just, I just need to keep it quiet, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's the fall, it's the curse, but what are you gonna do? But um, what you say about him reflects what your heart feels about him, so go before God with it. Again, we're not called to be his trumpet-sounding critic. <laughs> we're called to be a quiet confidant. That's what we're called to do. And pray. So that's my last point, and I'm almost done. But we are to consider how we speak, and now we are to consider how we pray. So important in respecting our husband. How do we cultivate respect for our husband? We need to be intercessors for them. Are you his intercessor? Are you daily interceding in prayer before God for your husband? If not, why not? I'm just going to leave that there. If not, why not? I think I've shared with this with you ladies before, but for those who have not heard me share this, I believe, I know, that the Lord has given each wife an insight into her husband's needs more than any other person in his life. You and I hold dear our husband's needs. We know his shortcomings and we know his strengths. We know his deepest hurts and his greatest sorrows. We know when his heart is discouraged and when his heart is encouraged. We know his physical challenges, his illnesses, and we know when he gets up in the morning, sometimes he doesn't feel up to the task that is set before him. And it is only you and I that can pray for him like no other person on the face of this earth. In fact, you may be the only one interceding for him. And that is why, oh, that is why. If you get nothing out of this time with me this morning, that would be it, that you would be women called to intercede for your husband. I want to share this, and then I will close. And it is about Charles Spurgeon. Actually, it's about his wife. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon is a favorite of mine. He was amazing. He authored 135 books, 63 volumes of sermons, was the pastor of a mega church, the leader of 60 connected institutions, and Susie Spurgeon was married to the most famous preacher and one of the most famous men of the Victorian era. In August 1854, when Charles Spurgeon asked Susie Thompson to marry him, do you know what the first thing she did? She prayed, and she thanked God, it says, with happy tears for God's great mercy in giving her, this is her, the love of so good a man. 
Ladies, you are sitting here beside a man who is at a marriage conference this weekend. You have the love of so good a man. Oh, how we forget this. Oh, how we need to pray for them. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. I get emotional because I feel so fondly of Phil, and most of you know that my love for him is over the top because I praise God for the love of so good a man. But however, she confessed at this time to not fully at that time knowing the extent of what Charles' greatness was going to be. Susie didn't fully grasp that being the wife of Charles Spurgeon would mean lonely nights, ministering to him during times of very deep depression. He went through depression. Nursing him in sickness, encouraging him when he was attacked, loving him when he was discouraged. And throughout their marriage, she encouraged him in several different ways. But one of the best, greatest ways that she is known to have encouraged her husband was through prayer. Charles Spurgeon struggled, and she prayed for him. You know, our spiritual heroes can become so idolized, we miss how God worked in their humanness, right? So Charles Spurgeon, he struggled. He felt with pride, spiritual coldness, and despondency. And it might be hard for us to imagine that this prince of preachers could have felt so low but he wrote to Susie while he was away, and this is what he wrote. He said, I shall feel deeply indebted to you if you will pray very earnestly for me. I fear I am not so full of love to God as I used to be. I lament my sad decline in spiritual things. You and others may not have observed it, but I am now conscious of it, and a sense thereof has put bitterness in my cup of joy. Oh, what it is to be popular, to be successful, to have abundance, even to have a love so sweet as yours, Susie, if I should be left to God to fall and depart from his ways. Susie was often found on bended knee for Charles. She bent her knee in his study when he wasn't home. She bent her knee beside the sofa he sat on when he wasn't home. Elsewhere in their home, she prayed for her beloved husband. And ladies, we need to pray for our husbands. You're the only one who can pray for them the way, you, you know, that anyone can. I want to encourage you. I want to exhort you. I want to ask you to pray, pray, and keep on praying even more than you even do now for your husband. Pray earnestly for him. When you do, your heart will gain appreciation, love, and respect for him. You will proclaim, like Susie Spurgeon, thank you, God, for the love of so good a man. Ladies, when it's all said and done, may it be said of you and may it be said of me that we submitted to our husbands that we honored him as protector and head of the home, respecting the responsibility of his position and his accountability before God. May it be said of you and me that we respected our husbands, that we noticed him, regarded him, honored him, preferred him, venerated and esteemed him, that we deferred to him, that we praised him and loved him and admired him exceedingly. And may it be said 
of you and I that we are often found on bended knees in prayer for our husbands. Amen. Um, I asked Phil, I felt like the Lord put on my heart. Um, I would like you ladies to take your husband's hand. And if you're engaged here, you can do the same. If you're single, just pray silently, okay? If, the, if, you're, if you're single here. But what I'd like, I'm just, this is all silent prayer. I want you to pray for your husband. This is not a time to pray for him to get things right. It's a time for you to thank the Lord for the love of such a good man and to pray over him. And then it's only going to be a minute or two. So let's, let's do that now. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've made us wives. That, Lord, you're also in the making of singles being wives. And, Father, we pray that we be all that we can be to please your heart and to please our husband's hearts. Father, we thank you for the love of so good a man. We thank you, Lord, for these men who are here that desire to walk with you and love you and work on our marriages. Father, would you bless them above measure? Be with them in their weakness. Strengthen them, Lord, where they need strength. Oh, how we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.